September 22, 2017. An 11-year-old boy in the Nigerian city of Yenagoa goes to a local clinic seeking a medical diagnosis for what seemed to be symptoms of a very unusual chickenpox, large lesions all over his body and sores inside his mouth. The doctor called in to look at the case was Nigerian infectious diseases scientist Dr. Dimye Ogoina. His suspicions proved correct. The boy had a new type of monkeypox not seen in Nigeria in nearly 40 years. The child's infection became the first known case not only in Nigeria but in the world of monkeypox or mpox, a viral disease transmitted person to person through broken skin, mucosal surfaces or via the respiratory tract. Dr. Gwena rang the alarm bells but the world refused to listen. And five years later, just as we were recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic. I have decided that the global monkeypox outbreak represents a public health emergency of international concern. 111 countries reported about 87,000 cases and 140 deaths. As the crisis unfolded, Dr. Ogoina's observations became critical to the development of strategies to prevent and control the outbreak. The MPOX health emergency has been declared over and Dimye Ogoina is considered by Time magazine to be one of its 100 most influential people in 2023. But have we learned the right lessons going forward? And what other health emergencies could be in store for us? Dr. Dimye Ogoina talks to Al Jazeera. Dr. Dimye Ogoina, thank you so much for talking to Al Jazeera. Let me start by asking you, what made you want to be a doctor in the first place? Well, uh, I think uh, it's a mixture of uh, two major things. First, I was very good in science and um, at that time, it seemed very prestigious uh, to become a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. And I had full support from my parents. And apparently, when I entered medical school, I did, I did very well. So for those two reasons, I entered medical school. And fortunately, I became a medical doctor. Well, let me ask you about some of the challenges you yourself have faced um, when dealing with infectious diseases. I know that when you yourself sounded the alarm on mpox or monkeypox, as it was then called, and the possibility of sexual transmission at that stage, at an international conference, I believe you were told to be quiet. How did that make you feel? Yeah, so uh, what exactly happened at uh, that time? We, we noticed an unusual presentation of mpox uh, that suggested the potential of sexual transmission. Uh, so we documented that unusual presentation and uh, decided first to present it in scientific uh, meetings. Uh, so I remember one of such meetings, uh, we presented our findings, I presented the findings and um, some other scientists felt that it was not possible for monkeypox to be sexually transmitted or to be transmitted via sexual contact because uh, by that time, their view was that they had 50-year experience with mpox and uh, from the 50-year experience, mpox was largely a zoonotic disease and um, some- A zoonotic disease, so a disease transmitted from animals. From animals, from animals. So they felt it did not conform, did not fit to the known epidemiological pattern of mpox. Uh, we presented in some of the conferences and some of our colleagues were, were a bit skeptical to accept it. I remember we also, when we developed the article the first time and they sent so some of the very revered journals, uh, one of the reviewers even re replied uh, to our article and said we are being careless. Hmm. 
and reckless, that's the word, we're being reckless by suggesting that uh, MPOX could be transmitted via, via sexual contact. It was a bit discouraging, it was, it actually it was discouraging to me, but uh, I just persevered. Unfortunately, uh, some other journals accepted the work. That was 2017, 2018, mm. and 2019. And uh, today the story is different. Well, thankfully you did persevere, and thankfully eventually the world listened. But really only when we started seeing transmission in the global north. How would you describe the government responses that we saw and, and the difference between them in the global north and the global south? Yeah, so I, I think because they had more resources, more developed public health system, better uh, epidemic preparedness and response. Um, the research capacity, uh, the capacity for research and development was is more advanced in the global north and compared to the global north and south. I mean, the, the global south. And um, they had more influence to develop uh, medical countermeasures such as vaccines and therapeutics. So because that it's very, it sounded very unusual to me that uh, MPOX had been with Africa for close to 40, 50 years. Uh, we did not have therapeutics, uh, we did not have vaccines, uh, but when we had the 2022 outbreak, mainly in the global north, currently we were talking about therapeutics and vaccines uh, for, for MPOX. Uh, so, if you look at the WHO report on MPOX, you observe that uh, data is largely lacking in Africa, even at this current point. Mm. And that is largely due to resource, resource constraints. Um, majority of the cases are not diagnosed. Majority of the cases, we don't have full complement of clinical and epidemiological data. So the World Health Organization declared an end to the MPOX health emergency in May. Just a month before, in April, you wrote, the history of this virus reveals a pathogen that has continuously evolved, shifting how it transmits and whom it affects. At times during its history, public health authorities have failed to pay adequate attention to MPOX. Doing so again would be a mistake. Are we making that mistake? Yeah, so, so I, I think there, there are a number of gains that we have made uh, following the declaration of MPOX as a public health emergency of uh, international concern. Uh, currently, what is in the works, uh, what we have never seen in Africa, I would say, for instance, in Nigeria, is that we are, we are talking about doing clinical trials on um, MPOX-related therapeutics and, and vaccines. We are talking about collaborative funding from the Global North uh, to better understand MPOX. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I've observed over time is that the public health emergency sort of improved their awareness and interest uh, regarding MPOX and the, the need to support MPOX research and surveillance and public health response. Uh, but when this public health, when this in the public health emergency was uh, stopped, it seems that the interest regarding monkeypox has uh, declined significantly. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can say that the, the, the support that is required to understand the outbreak is not as uh, much as it should be desired. There are still a lot of gaps. I, am also, I always say that I'm not very happy that we have declared a public health emergency and that public health emergency, emergency has ended, but we still do not have uh, therapeutics in most parts of Africa. We yeah. still do not have access to vaccines. We still do not know the routes of transmission of MPOX in Africa. There are still many unknowns about MPOX in Africa. And the opportunity of the public health emergency was to invest 
to better understand the mpox, the disease, the transmission, the, the clinical characterization, natural history. And uh, so I see it as a, like a lost opportunity. And I hope that uh, despite the fact that the public health emergency has ended, uh, the international community and all stakeholders will not lose interest in mm. funding mpox research uh, for Africa. And indeed that people will also continue to be wary. Knowing what you know now, Doctor, about health emergencies and how societies react to them, let me ask you to take a moment to reflect. I wonder what did the COVID-19 pandemic and the MPOX health emergency, what did that tell you about the resilience of health systems worldwide? Yeah, so it, it speaks a lot about uh, resilience of health systems across the, the globe. And it also says that um, depends on the level of shock, any health system across the globe can be impacted. And one of the papers we wrote, it says that we says that uh, the health problem for a resource constraint uh, setting can be a health problem anywhere in the globe. Mm -hmm. And a typical example is MPOX. MPOX was a problem for developing countries, a few developing countries in Africa, uh, but it resulted in a global uh, epidemic. And uh, to the extent that it was de declared a public health emergency of international concern. Uh, so um, our health systems ought to be prepared for shocks. And if health systems have to be prepared for shocks and public health emergencies, there has to be a preparatory phase. Mm. And uh, what I always say is that we look at the pillars of what is required. First, uh, patients and populations are very, very important. What we observe during the COVID-19 and MPOX is that people do not have access to healthcare services either because they don't have resources uh, to pay for such healthcare services or don't, they don't have the resources to even attend the healthcare facilities. Mm -hmm. So we need to provide the sort of a safety net and that will include insurance for patients and populations. And also there are lots of myths and misconceptions misinformation regarding COVID-19 and even monkeypox or mpox. And that the myths and misconception was the source of a lot of problems, hesitancy, even vaccine hesitancy that we have in Africa is our, as a result of myths and misinformation. Uh, and Doctor, we must invest in risk communication. I want to speak about the vac vaccine hesitancy in just a moment, but I want to pick up on something you were talking about there, and that's inequity. There's been a huge amount said about the, availabil the availability of vaccines or, or lack thereof, especially in Africa. We know that was an issue with COVID-19 and it was again with the smallpox vaccine, which also works with MPOX. These became really political battles. Do you see that changing in the future? I think it's difficult to change. And what I always say is that we in Africa must look inwards. This idea of being very dependent on the global north or developing countries for everything we need, we must look inwards because countries have unfortunately a selfish tendency. And if you look at historically, most of the medical countermeasures, they get to get to Africa, other resource countries, when they've satisfied the needs of the developing countries. So we get to say uh, these vaccines or therapeutics can now get to Africa because we have solved our problems in the global north. Uh, so so I, I think if we don't invest in local production, manufacturing production, and uh, invest in capacity building of individuals and institutions, especially regarding uh, public health response and research development and the development of medical countermeasures, we will go through this cycle where we, if we have an outbreak in future because the global north has the capacity that is required sure. uh, to, to develop these medical countermeasures. 
uh, they would uh, hoard and make it available for their people with, and then it gets linked to, to doctor, African in, countries. In trying to reduce dependency, you're talking about building capacity to produce these yourselves in, in different parts of Africa. But we know there's a huge brain drain when it comes to expertise from Africa. How do we address that in order to be able to, to create manufacturing and create research stations for such such vaccines? Yeah, so, so brain drain can ultimately be an advantage, uh, but we need to be very careful because the type of brain drain we are seeing in Africa is a threat to the public health system. Mm. And unfortunately, people are living without a focus uh, without a reason, just for the sake of living. Uh, but there are two sides to brain, brain drain. We are losing a lot of our competent, highly skilled health manpower of various cadres. Uh, the advantage or the, the good side is that they can get their skills from the global north and there can be a reverse brain drain. That can only happen if we prepare the environment for them to come back. Uh, Doctor, this is all about education, right? And having people understand the threats that we face. I want to look at some of the future threats that we face that we perhaps don't know as much about. Uh, Mpox is a zoonotic disease, as we were saying. So it originated with animals. Um, and we think that came from the Democratic Republic of Congo. But we know that the movement of people, the movement of animals and climate change, that increases zoonotic disease risk. Now, none of that bodes particularly well for the world that we live in right now. Yeah, so so again, we will need to look at the chain of transmission. And I always say that there are three things that are critical for the emergence and re-emergence of disease. You need to look at the susceptible humans. You look at the um, source, proximity to the source and the pathogen. Uh, most of these things we talked about, climate, climate change, urbanization, deforestation, reforestation, irrigation, what they do is that they increase the proximity of the pathogen to the susceptible host. Uh, the same thing applies with uh, many other things related to human behavior and, and, and the likes. And it's important that we invest in these three aspects. But what I believe is most important is the susceptibility of hosts to disease. Hmm. We cannot stop urbanization in most cases. We cannot stop irrigation, reforestation, deforestation completely. We can only control it. What we need to invest in and, and prioritize is to improve the ability of the human defenses to weed off pathogenic microorganisms. And one of the most effective public health interventions that we have known so far is vaccines. Yeah. I was asked a question that is it possible to have a universal vaccine, for instance? And then nothing is impossible in science. Is it possible to have a vaccine that takes care yeah. of every disease, and even future diseases? And it's an area that we, we ought to invest to improve our innate immunity against pathogens because ultimately pathogens are everywhere and it will be difficult for us to stop exposure. It Indeed, they don't know any, they don't know about borders, right? Yes, they don't know about borders and they can move. Monkeypox has told us that, that pathogens anywhere, anywhere it can be a problem everywhere. And so we will need to, as much as possible, prepare ourselves. And the best way approach is to prepare our immune system. And one of the best ways of preparing our immune system is through vaccines. Although natural immunity is also very, very important. That all sounds like a lot of wishful thinking, though, a, a universal vaccine for everything. How can we prepare now, without a universal vaccine, for things that we don't necessarily know a great amount about yet? And let me ask you about that, because we are seeing vector-borne diseases 
like malaria, for instance, spread to new places because of temperature change? Should we be more worried about the diseases that we already know about showing up in, in different places or about potentially the emergence of, of new zoonotic diseases? Yeah, so I, I want to just respond to the wishful thinking. You know, sometimes breakthroughs start as wishful thinking. So sometimes they believe certain things are not possible. And it may be, look unimaginable to have a vaccine that takes care of everything. But perhaps if we dig deeper, there's nothing the human mind cannot overcome if we, we look closely. And the, the COVID-19 pandemic has taught us that. But what I think is not just to look about new pathogen, even the old pathogens. Mpox is a typical example. Mm. Nobody will have thought, we have, have experience of 40 something years with Mpox. Nobody will have thought that Mpox would emerge to be a disease that is transmitted via sexual contact. But today, Mpox has evolved to a disease that is transmitted via sexual, uh, sexual contact. So I think we need to develop strategies to be able to recognize the potential of outbreaks and out, uh, pandemics to emerge. So our early warning signals and signs, we must strengthen them. And we can only do that if we work on uh, surveillance and data. And that's a challenge in resource constraint settings. We don't, we lack data. And we need data to be able to predict. And we must also invest. Investment is very important. And investment in research and development, investment in diagnostics, investment sure. in um, uh, medical measures. Uh, these are investments that we need, particularly in Africa. Uh, doctor, in order for all of that to happen, there needs to be a fairly large amount of political will. Are you optimistic about that? Yeah, so political will is something that we, we have challenges with. And, uh, and I always say that it's our responsibility to ensure. It's a collective responsibility. It's not just for the political leaders. Uh, leaders tend to do certain things because they're allowed to do so. And we need to look at our accountability framework. When we empower communities, we empower stakeholders to hold our leaders accountable, not leaders at the highest level, even leaders of common local government chairmen, mm. state governors, and the likes ministers. We need to empower the community to hold them accountable. What we do in most parts of Africa is that we have policies, but we don't have the opportunity to check. Uh, if you look at the WHO strategy for improving hand hygiene, for instance, you say, we, if you have a strategy, you build the build the strategy. You train, you check. You you always want to check, and the idea of checking you reinforce knowledge. You 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 incentivize, and you when you have opportunity, you can even punish. So people need a, they need something to be able to do what is right. And if we don't work on our accountability framework, it becomes difficult for us to to make. Uh, progress and even hold our, our political leaders to account. Doctor, speaking of accountability, do you feel that there's been accountability for ignoring your warnings about MPOX? The only reflection of accountability will be what's going to happen in the in short and long term uh, regarding MPOX in, in Africa. If MPOX is going to be abandoned as a neglected disease and uh, there will be no investment in uh, research and uh, development, uh, then I would say we have that problem of accountability. Um, what happened over time was an observation. I always say that I don't blame some of the um, scientists and researchers that opposed the views at that time because uh, it appeared unusual. It appeared very unusual. It's very easy to say uh, they should have listened to me then uh, because when we have an outbreak in more than 110 countries, current, I mean, it's beginning in 2022, 
it was very obvious that mpox was transmitted via sexual contact but when we described this it was very very unusual and so people were not willing to 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 believe but the accountability holding people accountable will be when that investment is lost uh, because it's an opportunity for us to invest in monkeypox research and development especially for africa and ensure that the medical countermeasures are available for African countries to use. Well, you say, though, that investment and interest seems to have decreased since the WHO declared the end to the health emergency. Do you think that they declared it prematurely? My personal opinion is that I would have wanted a situation where the public health emergency would have been extended for a few more months to such a point where vaccines and therapeutics were available mm. for Africa. Because when the public health emergency ended, at that time, vaccines and therapeutics were not available for Africa. So it appeared as if we declared a public health emergencies, emergency and uh, the global not had access to vaccines and therapeutics, and they were able to contain and control the outbreak. And there was a need to declare that public health emergency over, but African countries were yet to receive uh, these therapeutics and vaccines. So I felt that there was a need to perhaps extend it for a while sure. so that there will be some form of solidarity and effort to ensure that those things are available for Africa. So the emergency essentially, the, the, the emergency was over in the global north, but not in the global south. We have an ongoing emergency in, in Africa, I believe so, that is currently not very obvious. I always mm -hmm. say we're working with the tip of the iceberg because there are a lot of undetected on undercounts in the number of airbox cases because of our challenges of the surveillance systems. And that's why we need to invest to uncover the true burden of airbox in Africa. Sure. Uh, because if we don't do so, the same cycle will repeat itself in future. Doctor, the vast majority of research and development around vaccines and therapeutics are done by major pharmaceutical companies with commercial interests at heart. Does that worry you? Yeah, so I believe that uh, uh, having the, the, the role of uh, these big pharmaceuticals and uh, profit-making organization in the production of vaccines has its benefits, pros and cons. And uh, we have to place it in context. Ideally, it would have been good for uh, non-profit-making organizations, research institutions, government organizations to be uh, play the lead role in the development of some of these medical countermeasures. But unfortunately, most government organizations and uh, non-profit making organizations are not as advanced in the vaccine production and manufacturing. But I say what is always important is that while we leverage on this uh, profit making big organization, we must hold them to account regarding pricing of mm -hmm. uh, these uh, medical countermeasures and making them equitably available for Africa and resource constrained and under sub settings. We have situations the same thing applied to mpox and COVID-19 when these uh, countermeasures, vaccines and therapeutics are produced. Uh, but if you look at the list, the queue for these drugs to be procured, the, even when money is available for Sub-Saharan Africa to purchase these um, drugs and vaccines, they are not available because most of these drugs and vaccines have been sold to the, the global north. Mm. So it's holding this, this uh, big pharma to, to account. I think WHO is also doing that. Uh, as part of the COVAX, for instance, uh, facility, it was uh, intended that 30% of the global supply of uh, most of these countermeasures should be made available to WHO so that they can uh, send it to resource-constrained uh, settings. So it's holding them to account so that Pricing is taken into account and access and equitable distribution of these 
uh, countermeasures and invest, investing in our public health systems hmm. uh, so that we have an alternative. Because currently we, we are too focused on most of the big farmers to solve our problems and most of them are hmm. profit making. Doctor, congratulations on becoming one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential people this year. Let me ask you, knowing the challenges that lie ahead, some of which we've talked about here, and now that you're one of the world's most influential people, what would you like to use your influence to change? I think the idea of being an influential person also becomes a reality, a great reality when, when you, you are offered or recognized in such a way. And uh, what I've said is that it's a challenge to me, it's an inspiration to everybody around me, my states, my country, my profession, my hospital. And the challenge to me is to invest my time, my resources, uh, to be able to understand infectious disease and public health better in Nigeria, in Africa, and the globe at, at, at large, and to do whatever is ne necessary to mentor younger, younger colleagues to, to be innovators, to be groundbreakers. Because I always say that we have a lot of things in Africa to uncover. And if, if we're able to put in our best, apply our best, we'll be able to solve, have practical solutions to, to our problems. So I, I think this recognition is a challenge to me to continue to offer my best to science and to, and to medicine and to medical education. Dr. Demie Ogoyena, we wish you all the best with your work and thank you for talking to Al Jazeera. Thank you very much.